pain fueled me. Had it not been for the adversity I experienced, I would not have, I would not have had such a burning desire to succeed. This is Rock the Bottom with your hosts, Andrea Vada and Martin Lockett. Welcome to Rock the Bottom. We are so excited and have been looking forward to sitting down with Amr Desange, aka Master Games. And we know you've been traveling, so we're just so grateful that you could make time for us uh, to, to get this to happen. You are a remarkable person with an equally remarkable story. In fact, anybody scrolling on your social media can see a, how much you've overcome. There's actually a detailed documentary about you available on YouTube called The Underdog Story, which we'll link below, but also what you've created, your physique, obviously, but the brand uh, House of Gains, which includes gyms, a lifestyle line of supplements and foods, and of course, your worldwide virtual coaching platform, uh, and also your compelling efforts to build and inspire community, but also seeing you give back to community. So thank you so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, I appreciate your kind words. And thank you guys for having me on here so we can help uh, spread the message. Yeah. So your story is, to me is unique in particular because where most of our guests found their purpose and passion as a result of their rock bottom, yours was actually developed in your childhood only to be re-engaged in your rock bottom. And so I was hoping that maybe you could kind of lead us into what led up to your rock bottom and and what that the, the time before looked like yeah most definitely i mean uh if we started uh right from the beginning i grew up in a very small town a small community called williams lake it's up north and um there's a lot of benefits growing up in a small town it's a really tight-knit community and you see a lot of, you feel a lot of love growing up uh but at the same time it's not too not as progressed as the city people's viewpoints are kind of limited so there's a lot of racism and stuff growing up in schools so early on as a kid uh, i mean i experienced the bully being bullied and just experienced being picked on. i was kind of like an outsider like a lonely kind of a, a person and always wanting to fit in and belong right and uh and uh, always, uh, I grew up in a mixed family, um, uh, meaning like uh, I had my parents and I had another set of parents. So again, I got raised with a, a few different types of values. So I didn't know where to fit in uh, if I look back now. And so this carried out into my junior high school years and not knowing where to fit in and the need for attention, constantly getting into trouble. And just uh, that's what happened in my really early childhood. And um, it got to the point where it uh, progressed in the, from grade eight to 10. And I started hanging out with the, the wrong crew and just not to be bullied and just to fit in kind of. And I found my belonging. With this crowd, I started doing things that, uh, that are against the law and I started breaking the law. And I, I, went to, I went to jail at a very young age at 12 years old. In that city, it's, uh, and I say jail, it's really, it's a holding cell for one week because there's no judge there. A judge has to come from the big city to either give you bail or either sentence you or put you into the, the, uh, the juvenile prison system. Until that happens, you're sitting in solitary confinement, 23 hour lockdown with not another person in your cell at 12 years old. So oh man is that it's a really it was a it was a key point in my life uh going through that 
because one, I never wanted to do anything wrong again, <laughs> right? And the other other thing was that at that point, my family started, family had come from an athletic background, by the way, and they started to intervene and in really installing training into my life, training, exercising, eating right, discipline, you want to call it. The whole point was to focus my energy and attention on something positive rather than keep going down the path that I was going down. And I tell you what, it worked. And so I'm a big believer today in creating discipline through exercise. And because the mind just starts getting programmed into a certain type of way. And I'm really blessed that at an early age, they introduced that training to me, although it's through some uh, pretty negative circumstances, but I'm really blessed that it came to me at a young age. You know, when you were speaking, I was I was kind of thinking about my, my own childhood and some of the negative choices I made early on because I also struggled with, you know, wanting to fit in and doing what I had to do to be accepted and things like that. But it sounds like your family, you know, they were very structured. They're very disciplined. They had the right morals and principles and values. And you had kind of drifted from that in order to, like you say, to fit in and to feel like you had a place with, with you know, people in the kids in the community. But how was that internal struggle for you to know that you were going against what you had been taught at home in order to, you know, fit in in the streets? Was there any kind of internal struggle there, I wonder, even when you were 11 and 12 years old? The internal struggle was huge, Martin. You're living a double standard lifestyle where, where in one, one part of your mind, you're trying to impress and be the right person, right child. I'm the oldest son. So I'm trying to be that oldest son for my dad and my mom and not let them down. But away at school, I have to be this other person that's not sitting well with me, you know? And it's like a, it's a struggle going back and forth in my mind at a young age. It, it, was, it was pretty uncomfortable to say the least, right? And it led me to do things that I didn't even think through, right? You know, because I was just chasing that belonging, chasing it from them, chasing it from school, right? And we're at school eight hours a day, you know, we got to fit in, we got to, you know, we, we have to claim our place in school. That's how it happens. And in a small town, everything you do is like an open book. And the whole community finds out, the whole school finds out. And now when the word's starting to get out from some of my negative behaviors, it's it's coming back and affecting my parents and now I'm letting them down even more. That's the devastating thing at a young age, letting your folks down and, and disappointing them. Absolutely. And I, I just, I have a quick follow-up, you know, with that, because I know that around age 12, 13, 14, and obviously you'll talk about those years uh, to come. But do you feel like those choices that you made to fit in with, you know, people in the community who weren't doing the greatest things um, helped to shape your identity as a young person, a pre-adolescent? And, you know, because you start to, your behavior, for most people anyway, will dictate, you know, what their identity is going to be. And then once you accept that you have this certain identity, okay, now I have to live up to that. And so now that dictates my behavior. So it's almost like a, a, a it's on a feedback loop, if you will. Do you feel like that was starting to manifest around that time? Definitely, especially once I did the one week in uh, in jail at 12 years old. Now it's like uh, like the biggest, baddest kids in school that I was hanging with have never been to jail. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden I went from this guy being bullied to being like, oh, this guy's, this guy's nuts. And so when I came out of there, even though I started training, 
I started training one with a chip on my shoulder because, and I've had a chip on my shoulder many times in my life. It's kind of, it's, it saved my life and brought me where I am. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Right. But at a young age, everybody in that community who was talking down on me that I was a bad kid and I was, I wanted to prove them wrong through my training and it, it kept motivating me. But that, that sense of identity that uh, from, from being a troublemaker that was starting to develop in me led into my training and becoming like an animalistic, having animalistic instincts while training. And you're damn right, man. It, it, it paved the way for along the way for me to always have to have to have to be that way. Right. And represent that sense of identity that came to me at a young age. Right. Because I grew up very insecure. I grew up very fearful. Right. When I started to build these kind of uh, identities, it gave me that confidence. Right. And so and I carried that with me for the rest of my life. In your story, I know just looking at the timeline, this wasn't your only visit to um, a jail cell, is that No, most definitely not. So that was my first time, was at 12 years old. Um, So when I started training, uh, I I started training at a very high level. My body, my physique started progressing very, very good at a high level. Um, And my family, they they seen a lot of potential in me to be a wrestling champion and uh, play sports at a very high level. So in a small town, there's really no future for that. So we had to come to the big city. So they moved me to the big city. And so my mom, dad, and my brother, my blood brothers, my mom and my dad stayed in, in the small town. And I came and lived with my my cousins up in the big city. There I started competing and going to school and uh, whatnot. But that big city transition from a small town to a big city, and I'm already a very, I'm filled with anxiety as it is, right? And so when I came to the big city, went to these big schools, I didn't know what to expect. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's when people were appealed by my size and uh, how I walked and talked and having that sense of identity already, people can see it in me. And so I started attracting the wrong crowd at a very young age, at 16 years old in uh, the big city. And hanging with these guys and just just seeing everything, I started to get myself involved in some uh, some uh, extracurricular activities again and against breaking the law. And I caught another charge before my 17th birthday. It was a uh, it was a credit card fraud charge, and uh, this time the judge was like, "You're gonna go to juvenile detention facility because I've already had that 12 year old incident from before." And my parents were living in Williams Lake, so he wasn't buying it. He and he sent me there. You know what? Again. I'm glad he sent me there because I wouldn't have graduated. Otherwise, I got the time finally to channel my energy and do my classes, which I got kicked out of school. So, um, yeah, I went to juvenile 17. I graduated and I came back to Williams Lake because that's where they sent me. I wasn't allowed in the big city anymore. The judge kicked me out. And uh, my family who I'd been living with, staying with, they were very, like you said earlier, they were very disciplined and they had these high hopes and a high structured lifestyle. As soon as I veered away from that, they didn't want anything to do with it either. And it's not like that they didn't want to do anything with it. They just couldn't handle me at that time. So, you know, I, I resorted to the streets and I was rebelling at that age. And uh, lo and behold, I lost that. I lost that part of my family. Once you were out of incarceration, and you're moving on, you now have lost part of your old identity. You're now stuck with this one that you've cultivated, but it's not necessarily serving you. So like, what happens there? What do you do? So my only purpose at that time was to make that identity serve me. Okay. So that false sense of identity that I created at a young age, 
Now, my only mission was to, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it such wholeheartedly that it's going to, I'm going to show my family who kicked me to the streets. I'm going to show this person. I'm going to show that person. And so I had enough experience hanging with the, with, with the bad guys and seeing what's going on. And I was pretty well versed by hanging around with them that I knew how to start my own operation. So being stuck in a small town, I wasn't allowed to leave the town. So when you're kicked out of Surrey, meaning you cannot leave Williams Lake or you will go back to jail is what the conditions were. So being back home, I connected with another friend of mine and we started doing some things uh, to fulfill this identity and uh, we succeeded. So we, we started selling drugs, man, simple. And uh, it was my first experience uh, at, uh, at, at attempting to sell drugs and I succeeded. Now the towns, town, the, the small communities finding out, my parents are even more disappointed, you know, because the word's getting out. And it's just like, at that point, I didn't care what my parents thought anymore because I just had this, this one lane vision of mine, right? I'm glad you mentioned about your parents because I was, I was still thinking at between ages 12 and 17, when you had said you had started to, you know, develop this workout regimen and, and your uncles, you know, and, and they were all pouring all this positive energy into you and you had took that on and it gave you, it gave you a sense of accomplishment, I would imagine. I mean, how could it not? You know, it fed you. Um, it met that, 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 that basic human need um, you know, to feel valued and to feel important and to, to feel like your life matters. But then you still found found a way to drift. Right. Because then there was also that pull of still wanting to fit in with, you know, the crowd. And, and I mean, your family is your family. But right. I mean, th- I mean, they're not going to they're they're not your homies. Right. They're not they're not the dudes in the street. And um, so I, I'm glad you kind of touched on that and what that may have felt like, even as you were you know, kind of getting this recognition and getting money and, you know, having all these things, but yet knowing that your family was disappointed in you. And if that, if that um, certainly mattered, it sounds like it certainly mattered, but I wonder kind of what, what factor that was uh, in your life as you went into young, young adulthood. Yeah. Like uh, that, the knowing that I had disappointed my family so much and knowing that I had lost that, I, I, I wasn't trying to build it back as much as I was trying to deflect it by going into my lane and keep going straight and, and getting that next sense of accomplishment, which is monumental, gaining money, uh, gaining success in, in the dope game. And uh, that's where my mind stood. And with the dope game now, you're drinking, you're smoking weed, and all that stuff is now numbing the real emotions that are going on at home. Right. And I started smoking weed at uh, 17 years old in Surrey. Uh, That led to that's one of the things that led to me um, being fogged out and making dumb decisions and catching a charge and going to 17 uh, juvenile. Now, when I'm back in Williams League, I'm still smoking pot. You know what I mean? I'm still fogged out, numbing some emotions because there's a lot of trauma involved in being kicked out of your house at 17 and losing that sense of accomplishment that you had in that family. And when you're supposed to be one of the best athletes in the world and everybody has their, has their hopes set up on you and had all this effort in you, now you let them all down. There's a trauma there. Right. And so the only way I, 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 I didn't feel that trauma was to just numb it through the weed or the booze and just keep going in the game. Right. And so that's kind of what, uh, what gave me a path, man. So that's your path. You would think that going to jail once, twice, that that would be your rock bottom moment. But it sounds like what you're saying is, is that 
that in fact wasn't necessarily where the rock bottom was. Not where at was- all. This is uh, just a appetizer for the main course. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just it's just getting me ready. These were all signs from the universe, from from God, call it from that. Hey, this is not the way you should be doing it, right? But I never took those signs. I took it as a challenge. Oh no, okay, I can do it like this next time and get better. And so it was because I was at a point of no return with my family. You know what I mean? And a lot of people go through this because the, the 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 communication barrier. There's a barrier between the parents now. There's a big gap now. Now you can't bridge that gap, right? There's no communication, especially with immigrant parents, and and their children who are raised out here. And I'm I'm sure it happens with all parents, but with our parents, they come here with such high hopes on us, and that they want to give us everything that they never had. So they work so hard, uh, and 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 the pressure's on right from a kid, right? And and so. To not live up to that pressure, it's heartbreaking for the parents, and now you're just kind of drifting apart, right? And uh, my parents, they lost me to the streets. And uh, so, you know, I was just, uh, I kept going, wheeling and dealing, and uh, and uh, one time I had to go sneak out of Williams Lake to go get a shipment because I didn't have a driver to bring it down. So me and my best friend, my partner at the time, we drove out there. We loaded up our trunk and uh, he was driving on the way back home. It's a six hour drive from Williams Lake to Surrey. And uh, he fell asleep at the wheel and he drove my car off the mountain. And I woke up, I was sleeping in the passenger side and I woke up as the car's airborne. And I was like, oh man. And he was like, oh shit. So the car tumbled and tumbled and tumbled. It must have done about 15, 20 flips. And when I came to, I crawled out and I, I couldn't see my friend anywhere. Like, I mean, he wasn't even anywhere near the site. And I was like, holy shit, I need to find this guy. So I spent about 15, 20 minutes looking around. And uh, I finally, I see my boy. And uh, I go there and I, I he's having a hard time talking to me, but he's trying to talk to me. And like, you can hear everything I'm saying, just... You know, and it was just, uh, there's no cell phone service in that area. So there's, uh, you can't call 911. There's no ambulances. And so we were just stuck in the dead zone. It took an hour and a half for the closest ambulance and the paramedics to come and uh, come to the crash site. And until then, I just had him held there. And and he, you know, and uh, he's in rough shape. And I tried, I tried to save his life, but the, he died in my arms. And he tried looking at me, man. His eyes were still looking at me. And I had to close his eyes. I said a prayer. And, um that was a really, uh, it was a really life-changing moment for me. From there, I went to the hospital and the stuff that we had in our trunk, the police found and uh, from the hospital right to jail, right? So it was, it was, it was, it was a tough situation to swallow at that age. And, uh, you know, I, I can relive it just like it was yesterday, just talking to you about it right now. You know, that's another thing that started leading me into the path that I, 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 I that's 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 definitely a thing that uh, kept me going in the direction where I was going. I, after that, like I wasn't going to stop what I was doing. I wanted to keep going even more. All I wanted to do is get to the big city, uh, to Surrey, to meet be with my other friends and my homies. Like you said, I want nothing to do with my parents. You know what I mean? And um, when I came home uh, from the hospital, from the jail, I got bail on the charge. And, uh, you know, the whole town was blaming me for his death. And uh, they're like, you you killed the boy, I killed our son, killed our brother. And it's just like, it was devastating hearing that because I lost a really, really good friend that day. And uh, I tried everything to save his life and I wasn't even driving, you know what I mean? And so it's like, but to hear that from them, it was just like, that was worse than any jail. 
it was worse than you know what I mean. The worst thing that you can imagine. So what I I started doing, but I my my alcohol level went up. I started smoking more weed, and the weed didn't work. So I started my first attempt at using cocaine, and uh, I had it handy around because I was a cocaine dealer, so I had it around easily. So uh, I tried it, and I, when I tried it, I, I I didn't go to sleep. That means great, no nightmares, no sleeping, no nightmares, no reliving. Okay, perfect. This is great. I'm just numbing everything, right? And that was my first experience at self-medicating. You know, of course, oblivious to what my parents, my parents trying to talk me and talk to me and just kind of comfort me. It's okay, right? My dad's coming around a little bit, trying to be supportive, but I wasn't having none, you know? And uh, all I wanted to do was just leave and get to the city. Yes, it was a tough time in my life, but uh, I made it back to the city and I got a legal guardian to uh, sign for me. And uh, I kind of, tricked my parents. I said, I'm going to go to college and this and that, but I had no dreams to go to college. I manipulated them just so I can get to the city and join a gang, join my gang and go sell drugs. That's what I wanted to do. And that was the only thing on my fucking mind because that false sense of identity, I needed to be one with that. You know, I needed to be that. Now, if I couldn't accomplish anything else in my life, at least I can accomplish this. Right. And that's where my mind was. And it's a very dangerous place to be. So you talked about earlier, the, the piece about like, Along the way, the universe was, hey, let's get back on track here. Let's get back on track here. During this period of time, when you were in this state, were you, did you even have any sort of, like, were you able to even reflect or were you just so hard, hard lining ahead that you were just, who cares about anything? You're not, or were there moments where you were surrendering or where you were, hey, I got to do things a different way. Was there a, was there a moment like that in, at, at this time? Yeah. And it comes to having that, um, two sets of beliefs growing up, having that dilemma with one another growing up, I had a conscience and uh, I grew up religious. Okay. So that gave me a conscience. I still prayed. Okay. I still had my faith. All right. So, and I think that's why the signs were coming to me as well. Right. Because I believed, but when they came to me, I would, I would have uh, I, I couldn't process them long enough to stay on that path because the, that other, other, other energy that my false identity was way too powerful at that time. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so therefore I, I, I gave into the more powerful energy and, but definitely there was guilt along the way. There was knowing that this isn't the right path for sure. You know what I mean? But then I was still living that double life because I was conning my parents and family members around me. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to school. Right. You know what I mean? But really in the back of my head, I had one purpose. Right. And so I, I was just in a dilemma with my own self. Good, bad, yin, yang, which way to go. You know what I mean? It's like good wolf, bad wolf. You know, it's just, that's just what it was all about. But so at what point do you, do you become like sick and tired of being sick and tired? Like at what point did it, does it shift for you where you're like, I can't keep doing this like this. Well, I'll tell you. So I went back to went back to the big city and I told you my mission was to go sell drugs. And that's what I did. I, I joined up with my a good bro of mine and uh, we did it very, very successfully. And uh, I my cocaine use was managed. I wasn't doing 
drugs every day. I was able to straighten my head out because my addiction wasn't so far gone, right? You know what I mean? And so I was using it as medication. So I was able to straighten my head and sell sell drugs and successfully make money. So the materialist, materialistic things started coming in. I and I and I, I more than the materialistic things, I I earned a sense of belonging in this crew, in this team, and uh, I represented success. And they were proud of me, and they gave me the pat on the back that I needed, right? Do you know what I mean? That I wanted so badly, that validation, right? And so uh, um, I, I felt at home, and I felt like yes, this is what I was chasing, and this is what I want, and I got it, right? And then that the, now the arrogance comes, and the the conceitness comes, and it's like uh, now you're like, yeah, I was right, I was right. What happened along the way? Uh, my my bro that I used to sell drugs with back then. He died. He passed away. And um, this was my best friend at that time, man. We worked every day together. We lived together. Like everything that uh, we planned in the future, it was all together, man. And we've seen a lot of success together. So when he died, um, I went back to self-medicating, man, because it was just so painful, man. And it was so painful. And uh, and I, I the drinking, the drugging escalated so quickly that um, I was just in a, in a, in a numb, numb state of mind. So the, the crew that I was with, they were like, listen, we're seeing you going downhill. You need to either stop this or you need to go. And so I picked, uh, I picked, I wasn't ready to stop. I, I needed to suffer still. I needed to numb the pain. And uh, man, so when the cocaine wasn't working and the booze wasn't working, I was just so drunk and I, I escalated to harder drugs. You know what I mean? And those harder drugs, it was like, I forgot everything once I, once I, once I touched them and, um, that escape, there was nothing like it. Now I'm not, now I'm not feeling my parents, my parents pain. I'm not feeling my own emotional pain anymore. And it was just a one way path in hell. I was living in hell. I had lost all my material stuff. I had, um, I had lost my dignity, my respect, my reputation, my belonging, Okay. And, uh, I was all alone on a one-way path to destruction. And honestly, I wanted to die every day because I wanted to join my friends and those two, those friends of mine, they took things to their graves that nobody else knows about me, you know? And so it's like, you share a bond and it's like, you feel abandoned. And when you feel abandoned, um, you know, you already know from my story that I don't take it well when I lose my position of belonging. Right. You know what I mean? And so, uh, I, I that's the way I went. And so, one of my biggest rock bottoms is that moment right there when I tr I declined the help and I just wanted to die. And it took me to places that I never thought I'd be in. I mean, I sold drugs to all these places. So here's the thing. When you sell drugs, you believe in that substance as a medication for other addicts. So you're able to go deliver it to them and, 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 and make money from their misery. Okay. So now when you believe that already, now it's your turn to medicate, you know that that's going to also work for you because you, you're giving it to other people. So that's why I, I wanted to go that. I mean, I was really, really drunk out of my mind when I, when I went and even tried it. But when I did it, it was like, that's it. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of people go through that and they never, ever make it back, man. And uh, I'm just, I'm just grateful for, from the grace of God that I was able to turn things around. But yeah, that was my first rock bottom. How did you turn it around? Like, so what was, I know that we can't always, like in hindsight, we can collect ourselves and, and see a moment where, where we went, aha, but do you remember what that was at that time? Do you remember where you were at, what you were feeling like in that moment where you were like, okay, this is it. Like I got to do something else. 
Yeah, so it's like it's like my angels didn't want me to die, didn't want me to go, didn't want the the powers to be, didn't want me to go. Like I had a purpose, you know what I mean? I would I I would end up in risky situations, but I would make it out. You know what I mean? I was just like I was like I took it as a, I'm like holy shit, I should have been dead by now, right? And uh, I sobered up enough for about a, a week's time, and that's enough to kind of start thinking a little bit in in the right direction, right? So once I sobered up, I was like man, I know how to do these push-ups. I know how to train. I learned this discipline at a very, very young age, right? You know what I mean? And my mind was transformed. I'm an animal. I can use those same things to bring me back above water. And uh, that's exactly what I started to do, man. I resorted right back to the basics of training. So started with the push-ups again, right? The push-ups builds your mindset. And one last time you do 100, next time you do 150, next time you do 200, it progresses. As the push-ups progress, your mind progresses, right? And so that's what I use to help myself to get out of that really, really deep waters. And, but again, at that time, I, I still did not want to go back to being a regular human being, a productive member of society. I still wanted to go in the direction which brought me here in the first place was find that belonging again with the same type of family. And uh, I sobered up and uh, I, I got enough to get on my feet and I got in with uh, with with the family. And these guys were some, some hardcore gangsters, man. And uh, again, I proved myself to them and uh, I stayed sober and we worked and we sold drugs and I, I, I made back more money. I made back more materialistic things all by learning how to stay sober. By now I learned that I can't drink alcohol anymore. You know what I mean? I learned all these things along the way. I had a stint in rehab, right? So I learned a lot from there, right? So I had the tools with me now to, to stay sober. And that was just the first part getting sober now living sober every day and uh, and a life dealing with life on life's terms every single day while still trying to live this false identity and and still trying to sell my own kryptonite you get what i'm saying so but that's that's all i knew how to do at that time there was no going to school there was no going to get a job right because then i got no belonging i got no nothing i'm in a lonely place i'm probably going to use drugs again right so i stayed i stayed along i stayed with these people tied to the hip they genuinely cared about me. They made sure I stayed sober, okay? My sobriety was their main concern. They knew what I had gone through. And and together, I was a very valuable asset to them as they were to me. And so that creates a team. We, we did this for a couple of years, got all the materialistic stuff back. And then uh, lo and behold, one day our house got raided and I, I took a big charge, a real big charge. And this was no effing around. And uh, now I'm in prison. Okay, so I went to prison sober. Um, I went to prison sober, uh, but I was looking at about a seven-year deal. My lawyer told me, "Take this deal. They're offering you seven years." I'm like, "Doesn't sound like much of a deal to me." And uh, he's like, uh, "You might not get any better, but uh, there was powers working." At the end, I ended up getting three years. So I spent three Christmases, three birthdays, you know, three summers in prison, and that is where my life started to change. If there's a key part in my life where I started changes in prison. So you're in prison. First of all, how old were you when you got sentenced to the three years? 20 years old. 20 years old. Very young man, still growing physically and mentally and emotionally. What did, but because you were sober, that certainly aided your growth process, right? Because you had already done a lot of work because you're in a clear head and a rational brain and, and functioning on all cylinders, so to speak. 
So what was it in prison that helped you to further that growth? Would, did you come in already having made a commitment that, okay, I got to do this time, but you know what? I'm going to make the most of it, right? Or did you kind of take to some of the, the older, wiser guys in prison who kind of took you under their wing and kind of showed you how to do the time? What was it that kind of spurred that growth in prison? So having street credit outside when you go to prison, it, it, it helps you a, lot, a big deal. And so doing the things I did on the street at a high level, when I went to prison, I was a very well known already in the prison system. And uh, I used that, I used that as leverage to kind of get my way, get my respect in the jail to position myself and establish myself. Okay. Once I did that, and I have a choice, do I want to be a better criminal by keep networking and learning and making connections so I can go out and I can keep doing this thing? This this is where the this is where my eyes started to this is where I started to wake up. My values I learned as a small kid in a in a small town, coming from a religious family and a religious upbringing, they started coming back to me when I was in prison. So that voice of reasoning that I never listened to before, that was the that wasn't as powerful enough as my false sense sense of identity, it now started having some power. And meaning I wanted to never be in the same situation I was in again, ever, right? So I thought to myself, I'm like, I lost all my money. I, the house got raided. I lost my freedom. Everything that I had worked for, I'm stuck here now in jail sober, okay? So that's when it came to me that my purpose is something else. And uh, I started searching for my purpose. I started reading book after book after book after book. And I started everything I'd learned. I started practicing it in jail. As you know, jail, um, it's structured. Everything is timed. You're on their timetable. There's no getting away. So you can easily set up disciplined, structured uh, stuff to program yourself in prison. And uh, that's exactly what I started to do, man. And I, again, I started with training. I started training myself to the next level, started meal prepping my food. I started eating at the right time. Then I started helping other inmates on training. I started making meal plans and it came to me um, about halfway through my sentence. And I was like, man, what am I good at? What am I going to do when I get out of here? I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out in a couple of years now, you know? So what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to what I did. I'm like, no, I can't because I'm going to end up right back here again. So that's when I decided I'm only good at two things. All my life I've been spending training or selling things. It came to me right then and there, man. I'm going to sell training. I love it. Sale training. That absolutely works. And it has worked. And, you know, it, it was like a perfect combination, Amr, that you already had these deeply embedded uh, core values and principles of discipline and work ethic and, you know, goal setting and, and all these things. And then you get into a situation that's kind of also very rigidly structured and you know, very disciplined. And so it was almost like a perfect combination, if you will, when used the right way, because we know people don't, you always use it to their advantage, but when used the right way can really have a great outcome and be a very beneficial thing. And it sounds like that's exactly what it was for you. Um, so now we want to just transition into you get released from prison. You put this plan into motion. Exactly. What is this plan? and kind of take us into the present and, and what you've developed since then. Yeah, man. So uh, I, I was lucky when I went into prison that I'd, I'd met a girl and uh, this girl, 
we're only dating for about three months when my house got raided. Such an angel. She 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 supported me the whole way. She came and visited me the whole three years. You know what I mean? It was kind of like a driving force. Like, uh, you know, somebody had put her in my life, in my path, right? So that I, I can kind of have a, a motivation to choose right from wrong. And one of the motivating factors while in prison was like in our culture, when you marry somebody or you hook up with somebody for a long term, you're going to get married and you're going to tell their parents, hey, I'm going to I want to marry your daughter. And I knew I'd have to go through that. I'm like, what am I going to tell her old man? Right. You know what I mean? What am I going to tell her family? And uh, so I wanted to become a person that her family would be proud of 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 giving their daughter away to me and marrying her with me right so this is this comes from our cultural background so it motivated me so when i got released from prison she was there to support me believe in me there were times when uh, i'd start losing hope and belief but she'd install it back in me right when you get out of jail it's 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 really easy to go the other way again because you're coming out broke as a joke Okay. You're coming out, you're used to all this instant gratification, like within overnight, you're going to have all this money. Oh, you can have all this stuff just like that. And what stopped me from that instant gratification was building my body in jail. Because when you build a body, it's delayed gratification. It's not, it's not a, it doesn't come like that. It doesn't come overnight. You got to put in work, put in work, put in work. You don't see results, but you got to have faith and you got to keep doing the right things till one day your body starts to develop. So doing that for three years, it, it, it taught me that sense of patience. Okay. And I didn't need to come out of jail and just jump right into selling drugs and making money. So I started working at a gym. I started learning the ropes. I went to school because um, I knew how to train. I knew how to train already very, very well, but I wanted to learn the science behind it. I wanted to learn the anatomy, the circulatory system, the respiratory system, all the muscles and the tendons and how they work and why they work the way they do. So I wanted to go to school to a very detailed program. So I took a one-year course. During that course, I it's four hours a day, and uh, you know my 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 girl drove me there and picked me up, and I'd learn, and I, I was just getting more and more excited by this new knowledge I'm learning, you know, and uh, I I had that vision in my mind to sell training, sell training, so I started training my family members, my friends for free, right? I'd go to any park I could, set up shop and uh, do boot camps for like fifty people, and uh, their body started to change. And uh, they were like, dude, uh, this is really helping us. And that kept driving me, right? I was like, maybe there is another purpose for me here, right? And so I kept doing that. And uh, and at the same time, my, my own physical health, I'm keeping in top-notch shape. I, I, I never drank alcohol again anymore. So I, I kind of knew what to do to stay sober, right? And I kept going to meetings. I kept plugged into the sponsor, right? I kept, uh, I kept, I never, I never ran from the fact that I had an issue or a problem. I accepted it. You know what I mean? And I was open about it and I was loud and clear about it to all my friends. And they knew I was very transparent, right? I'm recovering and I can never drink again. You know what I mean? And so having that and uh, being transparent and having the right people around me, it, it gave me the fuel to keep going in the direction I did. And uh, when I, my friends, of course, uh, the friends that I, I went to jail with, they kept doing what they did. And, uh, and um, you know, just uh, every, every, every choice we make, we have to pay for the consequences right here on earth. That's what I believe, right? And I think from the choices I made, I had already paid my consequences, okay? I had had to pay dearly for mine. And so my friends at the same thing, man, uh, they got into some things that there's no coming out of. 
they all ended up dead. In our culture, when, when you bury somebody or you cremate somebody, you wash their bodies first. The closest people to them will wash their bodies. And I was there with the parents washing the bodies of my friends, my bestest friends. I riddled with bullet holes and I washed them and I cremated them and I stayed strong. And right then and there, I knew, I knew that what I was doing, it had to get to a level so that one day we can talk about it like this, like we are today, and we can help other people from going down that same path. Because like my friends and like myself, we didn't, we weren't born wanting to be this way. There's certain things that conditioned us as we we're getting, getting brought up, uh, certain, certain circumstances that made us think the way we did, that led us to the choices that we made. And I think a lot of those circumstances can be avoided by us sharing this and, uh, and spreading the message. You know, you talked a lot about the very beginning of your story about the need for community and for fitting in. And so flash forward to now, talk a little bit about your commitment to community, the way that you've built a community, particularly, you know, within the House of Gaines family, but then also the way that you've been giving back to community as well. So building my body came from building my mind, right? And I had to program my mind a certain type of way that my body could want, then be built. So I learned a lot of lessons and a lot of uh, teachings from all of that. And that's what I use today to help other people. And uh, people know me as a trainer, as a coach, but I don't train the body. I try to, I try to strengthen the mind. I try to, I try to make a person believe in themselves so much that they can do anything that's possible. And from there, they're able to build bodies. Right. And my goal isn't to help them build their body. My goal is to have them being high functioning members of society, right? I want them to be superhumans, right? I want these people to be the best version of themselves, right? Regular everyday people, right? That's, uh, and that's where, and that's what my dream was. And, um, and uh, that's what actually started to happen. So once I started seeing success at the training, I, I knew that I couldn't just, because I, I wanted to bring all this to life. I wanted to bring the underdog story, the been there, done that project. I wanted to help people. So my, I knew my in my, my voice was training, right? So I had to build something so big that one day somebody would, I would have people's attention to listen to my story, right? And to do that, I had to work day in, day out, day in, day out. I had to open up a facility with a crazy overhead and taking nothing home, but I had to put it back in the business, back in the business. And again, delayed gratification. And so, you know, sometimes you struggle, struggle, struggle. There are many nights when I struggle. I, I doubted myself. I'm like, is there going to be enough money to support my family from this? Right. And, uh, but I had that girl with me, man. And she just kept saying, she goes, you keep doing what you're doing and uh, it's going to happen. And she never let me wear the other direction. I kept going. I kept going. I believed in myself. And um, today I'm a proud founder and uh, owner of House of Gains, the brand. We train hundreds of people worldwide, right? We have, we have amazing team, amazing team of coaches that work for us. Each individual is very, very specially handpicked, chosen by myself. Together, man, it's amazing to tell you this right now. You know, I went from that lonely, lonely kid growing up in a small town, right? To being a troubled teenager, to being a lost and wandering, searching young adult, to now being, um, uh, becoming a strategic, uh, a self-aware human being who is uh, able to help others, right? 
and uh, it's 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 crazy for me to just tell you this right now you know and if i wouldn't believe in my angels and i wouldn't believe in uh the universe and uh, my connection to it i wouldn't be here here with you talking about this you know well it's super incredible work that you do and like you said hundreds of people around the world are are influenced and are given you know kind of a new lease on life having come through your program and and learning what they've learned but i'm curious okay you went through this this very difficult granted a lot of it self-inflicted right um kind of development in your life and you got to a point where you figured it out you know a lot of people amber they 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 chase success solely for their own benefit for their own gain at what point or rather, why is it critical for you to take everything that you've learned and gained and have, you know, um, used to make your life successful? Why is it important that you spread that to other people? What, what, where did that come from? What fueled me was my pain. The pain fueled me. Had it not been for the adversity I experienced, I would not have I would not have had such a burning desire to succeed. You know what I mean? And so I had a chip on my shoulder, like I told you, right? I wanted to prove every single person who, who, who knocked me down, who said I wouldn't make it. People that counted me down and out gave up on me, you know? And I got nothing against people. You know what I mean? I just did that for myself so that I can keep proving. And then I figured out I'm not the only one that that goes through this kind of stuff, right? You know what I mean? And if I can make it out from the deepest, darkest trenches that this world has to offer, how many other people just need a lifeline, just need a little bit of little bit of incentive and motivation so that they can do the same thing and they can come out and be the best version of themselves, right? So that became my purpose. And the fact that all my friends were dead and that I wasn't going to let that happen for no reason. I wanted there to be a meaning of their death. You know what I mean? I wanted them to, because they died, now other people are living. You know what I mean? And I wanted to carry that message. I'm like the only one that can carry it out, right? Why didn't I die, right? Why didn't I go, right? You know? So these things, they kept me, they kept me going strong, man. And the purpose at the end, my purpose wasn't to make money. Sure, I want to feed my family and have enough to support myself. But my purpose was to bring this out like this so we can help people all around the world because this happens everywhere in every country and every culture. And I think it's a, I think it's a very, um, it's a beautiful thing to know that what you're doing today to help so many other people is also honoring uh, your friends and your your buddies who didn't make it, you know that's um that's a sacred that's a sacred thing and and I know you have to be extremely proud that you're that you're doing that and hopefully I know you said that when your first friend had passed away and everybody his family and everybody kind of blamed you for his death and things like that I hope that they're able to see what you're doing today and, and to recognize that you're honoring you know their family member and their loved one and how you're helping people today. And I just, I just hope that that's not lost, you know, amongst them. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. And I, I hope the same thing as well, man, you know, and it, it makes everything all worthwhile. And uh, yeah. With all of that in mind for our audience and our listeners that may be in a rock bottom or cruising for a rock bottom themselves, do you have any words of wisdom that you would want to dispense here in hindsight? 
Well, when we go through a rock bottom, it's a learning experience. Um, there's um, like the philosophies and strategies that I learned while being on the street, you know, uh, they're all transferable. You know, and I was able to transfer them today to do what I do, right? And so there is a flip side to it. And uh, the whole thing is once we give up on ourselves, everybody else can give up on us, no problem. They can all go, you know what I mean? But once we give up on ourselves, there is no coming back, right? And uh, if I can come back, anybody can come back, right? The tools that I used to come back were given to me by training my body right and because training the body meant training the mind right strengthening the mind so this is something that will work for every human being it's not just me and uh i recommend people to just if you're going through something first of all reach out reach out there's many people out there like ourselves who who will take out the time to throw you a lifeline well you know because we share rock bottoms we've been there right? We've been there, we've done that. So we can empathize and we will go out of our way to help somebody. So there's, there is people out there. You're not alone, right? That's, that's what I want to tell everybody. And even though it might feel like you're alone, sometimes you're not alone, man. There's always, there's always many people that have gone through something that you're going through. So just stick with it. Keep your mind strong, reach out and find that courage and strength to believe in yourself. Beautifully, eloquently stated. Uh, we are, you know, community, and I don't care where you're from, what your background is, rich, poor, black, white, Muslim, Christian, uh, we're all bound by suffering and pain and struggle. And then we also come together and heal and triumph and have victory together, right? We don't do it in isolation. So I, I really appreciate you, you know, iterating that here and then also stating, don't give up on yourself no matter if everybody around you gives up, do not give up on yourself. Because for you, you had you had it already within to succeed, to get to where you are today. It wasn't channeled the right way, but, but, but it was in you. It just had to be repurposed. And you found that with the help of those around you and your beautiful wife and, you know, your family and, and, and people who cared about you. And so it just shows, you know, the power of community and where we can all get if we get there together. So... Thank you, man. It's, it's been it's been an honor and a pleasure to hear your story today. And 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 we know that the audience is going to come away with some nuggets of truth and wisdom that's going to help them get through their rock bottom moments. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for having a conversation with us. Sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on uh, on board today, guys. I'm glad we could help some people. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here at Rock the Bottom Podcast. Tune in next time for another inspiring Rock the Bottom story. If you or someone you know has a Rock the Bottom story to share here on the podcast, connect with us through Instagram.